Romans 8:28 to 39. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to have to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Notice Despite all the things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power is in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, a big welcome to everyone, again, who's watching online this morning. It's so great to have you with us, whether you're part of the Billabong Church family or another local church or just visiting us this Easter Sunday morning. Thanks for being here. Um, If you've joined us for the first time, of course, this is not how we normally do church. There's usually 100 or so people in this room here at the Billabong Community Centre in Canningvale. But right now, there's there's just a handful of uh, leaders and friends from this church in the room, still keeping good social distancing, uh, but they have an important role to play later in our service. Um, And they're going to help me feel less alone while I preach. So just give a shout out, guys. All righty. But it's, it's not the same. Uh, we are missing each other right now, of course, as a, as a spiritual family. Um, and this is only a substitute. However, it's an opportunity for us to meet. And nevertheless, this is going to be an Easter that we will never forget. Um, this is a time when God's love and comfort made possible through Jesus is as important as it's ever been for us. The scripture reading that we we just read has been on my mind recently because it speaks of God's heart for us, Uh, that he causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him, that nothing could ever separate us from the love uh, of God, And, and that if God is for us, who or what could ever be against us? And that's what I want to title this message today, that God is for you is for you, not against you. God is for you. You know, something that's been on my mind uh, a lot this year, for some reason, it's something that I've spoken about a few times here on Sunday mornings, and it's that God really wants to break down false perceptions that we have of who he is 
and what his heart is really for us. He actually wants us to know who he really is. He wants us to know what he really thinks about us. This is a battle, though, because there's plenty of other voices around that are declaring opinions about who God is, that are trying to tell us what he's like. And so we get all these mixed messages of who God is and what he's like. And it's not only that, but there are also some things built into the human heart that can so easily take us away from an understanding of who God really is. There's these attitudes within us that if they're not removed and changed, they actually separate us from God himself. The Bible, it calls this sin. That doesn't just mean kind of doing bad things or being an evil person or something like that. It's more of a posture of the heart, our heart, that can actually blind us. Uh, It can actually remove us from God and separate us from him. It creates this this partition or barrier. But God's desire is actually to open our eyes when we've been blinded. It's to show us how much he loves us. And, and this is why Jesus died on the cross. The separation that we created between us and between God through that, that selfishness or that sin, this, this partition was removed as Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross. And this is the good news. This is what we remembered on Good Friday. He took our sin. There is a problem, though, and that is that this separation still remains if our heart stays the same. So there actually needs to be a change. There needs to be a change of heart. Or even the Bible calls it, we need a new heart formed in us so that that separation is removed between us and God. And so what I've been asking myself in in this season, as COVID-19 has been spreading across the world and life is changing for us, is I've been asking, is God doing something to draw us back to himself, to help our hearts change so that the separation that exists can be removed? Consider for a minute what God who loves us, might want to bring about during this time of the coronavirus. Now, one thing God could do is he could just decide to get rid of it. He could just go, you know what, I'm going to wipe out this virus and I'm going to declare to the nations of the world, I've removed this virus from the earth. I, God, have saved you. And billions of people around the world would say, oh, wow, thank you, God, you are so powerful. But most people probably would just then get on with life. I mean, their perspective of God's power may have changed. If they didn't previously think he was capable of of doing such a miracle, that would have changed. Uh, But would our perspective of his heart for a personal and loving friendship have changed? As I said last week, I don't, I don't believe for one second that God wants this virus or created it or is pleased by its effects. I mean, he is heartbroken by what this is doing all around the world. It's destroying people's lives, families, societies, and he's heartbroken. But he's even more heartbroken by the fact that some of his children, those he wants to call a son or a daughter, 
whom he formed in their mother's womb are estranged from him. And I believe that God sees this troubling time actually as an opportunity to show you and I not how powerful he is, but what he really thinks about us, how much he cares for us. He's totally, madly, crazily in love with every single human being on this planet. And he wants us to know that. He wants you to know that this morning. See, there are, I believe there's two things, probably more, but two things I want to highlight today that are barriers. That especially in a place like Perth, Western, a Western country like Australia, uh, there's two things that tend to keep us away from God or keep us blinded to him or in our hearts closed off to him. Two barriers that get in the way between us and God. Human wisdom and human prosperity. The first one I'll call human wisdom, which forms a kind of pride. Uh, this causes us to say, we don't need God. We're wise enough on our own. When things are going well in the world, there's, there's actually a lot of confident voices, aren't there? There's a lot of people who are sort of strutting their stuff and proudly declaring what they know about anything, about health, finance, business, leisure, family life, food, sport, you name it. Anything you can think of, there's, there are wise people who say, we, we know a lot about this. The rate at which wisdom or new information is produced and made public these days through the internet is absolutely astonishing. For example, I read an article uh, just recently from 2018, so it's not even that recent, and it said that 90% of all the data in the world right now was produced in the last two years. So think about this. Nine in ten articles, videos, blogs, books, etc., was produced in the last two years and the other one in ten was produced in the previous millennia. That is an astonishing, crazy amount of so-called wisdom and knowledge going around and being produced every single day. And that includes what people say that they know about God. Now, whether this is said subtly, uh, like in movies or music or media, or explicitly by your friends or somebody you come across on social media, people say, well, this is what God is like. God's a fairy tale. God's a crutch for the weak. Some would even say, well, God's a child abuser. God's got a lot to answer for. God's just not real. Or maybe they'd say God's powerful, but he's far off in the distance. Or, well, he's, he's close, but he's not really that capable. Or God's beyond what we could ever understand. Or maybe God's angry with me. God's angry with you. He's against you. We've all heard these perspectives on who God is and what he's like in one form or another, whether implicitly or explicitly. But when the world starts to enter a crisis... Not everyone's quite so confident about their perspective on things. See, we get a bit shaken. Things start to fall apart a bit and we question reality as we know it. We, we question what we thought was the truth. And, and this means that maybe when it comes to who God is, we can finally give him an opportunity 
to speak for himself. See, there had to be some reliable way for God to reveal himself to generation after generation. And so a few thousand years ago and over a few thousand years, God inspired dozens of human authors to pen stories and poems and history and songs and then compile them into a collection, something which would be a reference point, a stable rock to understand, for us to understand who God is. And we call this collection of writings the Bible or the Scriptures. And as this coronavirus situation has gotten progressively worse, you know what? I've noticed something. I've noticed that many people have started turning to the Bible more than usual. It's it's really interesting. God's Word, as we often call it, it started to become so valuable as we turn to God for comfort, for strength, for peace, Because in his word, in the Bible, he actually reveals himself to us. And deep down, I think we know this. In fact, I I realized the other day that as we were preparing for our our Good Friday service, and then for our dawn service this morning, and then for our 100 hours of prayer during Holy Week, the week that's just been, and even for our celebration right now, I realized everything was, was just becoming saturated in Scripture. The Psalms, verses of encouragement and and promises of God's love. And it wasn't even that intentional. It was just natural. And and we're closing the service today with with a blessing over you straight from the Bible. Again, not intentional. It just happened that way. It's because the Bible stands out. It begins to stand out as unchanging truth when everything else is shifting changing and unstable. The Bible, quite contrary to human wisdom, is wisdom and revelation from God. He reveals his nature to us through his word. On Good Friday, we spent some time specifically in some of the Psalms, uh, songs and poems that often speak about God's nature and his heart. Many of them were written by King David, uh, one of the Israelite kings thousands of years ago. Uh, He wrote many of the Psalms, and he often describes God in them, saying, you are, some call them the you are Psalms. Um, And these Psalms, these you are Psalms, give us insight then into who God is from one of the most God-honoring men in history. Not a perfect man, he had many failings, but he honored God with his life in the end. And he says, David says this, he says things like, you are my strength. In Psalm twenty-two, nineteen, That's something really helpful to many of us to know right now. God is strong. He's able to give us strength, to be our strength when we are weak. That's, that's something about God we need revealed to us, for us to be reminded of, to help us in this time. And it comes from his word. David says in another psalm, you are a faithful God. See, when other things let us down, it's good to know that that God won't let us down. He's always faithful. David says in another psalm, you are the hope of everyone on earth. Of everyone on earth. You know, there's a lot of people looking for hope right now. Maybe that's you this morning. And to know that God is the hope that everyone is looking for. That is worth knowing. He also says this. He says, you, God, are near. In a time when we're isolated from others, 
that we love and that we rely on to know that God who loves us is near. That's such a great comfort. And then listen to this one. I love this. Psalm 86 verse 5. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive and so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Not just good, he's so good. Not just ready to forgive, he's so ready to forgive and so full of unfailing love. God wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know his nature. So who is he? He's who the scriptures reveal him to be. Our strength, a faithful God, the hope of everyone on earth needs to us. So good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for his help. But the very last you are psalm where King David declares to God, you are dot, dot, dot. It's Psalm 118, and it's a bit different. David writes this. He says, God, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Now, what does that mean? Why is that different? Well, it's not just God is powerful, God is merciful, God is a shelter, God is gracious, God is kind. God is, all of those are fantastic, but it's not just that. It's, God, you are my God. I know you. It's personal for David. He, he knows that God is not just someone he can know about. He's someone he can know personally. And so human wisdom, it, it says God is fill in the blank. Sometimes the description is right. God is strong. God is loving. Sometimes it's wrong. But only wisdom revealed to us by God himself is personal. And friends, as, as human wisdom begins to fail us in this time of the coronavirus, it's an opportunity for God to reveal himself to us personally. That he would become not just God, but my God, your God, our God. That's what he wants, is for us to know him. There's a second thing that can keep us closed off from God, that can keep us away from him, blind to him, distant from him, and that is human prosperity. See, when we, we have everything that we need, we, we simply feel in our hearts that we don't need God, right? Even if we recognize that what we have comes from him, that he created all of it in the first place, we still tend to have this pride that, that what we have is, is ours, and we have what we need, so we're all good. But what happens when some of that is stripped away, like what's happening at the moment for many of you? When we lose our jobs or we lose other means of security, again, God doesn't want this for us. He, he, he wants us to be well. He wants the best for us. But what opportunity does this present for him to reveal himself to us when some of those things we rely on are stripped away? This verse in Psalm 30 has grabbed my attention a few times recently. I've spoken about it before. The psalmist writes this, when I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me secure as a mountain. See, the writer still recognized that his prosperity came from God. But it nevertheless still filled him with pride. But then he says, then you turned away from me. And I was shattered. We are so prosperous 
in a country like Australia. And even with this virus, for many of us, we're still among the best situated in the world with assistance from the government and the like. But I believe that God wants to use this time to turn you and I to him as the one reliable source of what we need and what we want. God wants us, I believe, to know his nature as a loving father. Not someone who makes us work hard to deserve good things, but someone who lavishes good things on us purely because he loves us. You know, arguably the most important story that Jesus told to illustrate a point and to describe what God is like was the story of a son who basically said to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because he asked for his inheritance early. And his dad gave it to him and he just ran off and he squandered it on whatever he wanted. Selfish living, prostitutes, uh, lavish lifestyle. Eventually, though, the, the, the money ran out and, and he realized, oh boy, I have nothing without my dad. And so he, he decides to, to go back. But here's the important point in the story. The son in this story thought that his dad would be displeased. And that when he returned, he'd have to come back begging, just be on his knees begging to his dad just to be a hired hand on the farm so that he could earn enough to eat and survive. But here's what happens in the story. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. This is the heart of our Father God. He just wants us to come home to Him. His love for us is not dependent on what we've done. It's based on one thing and one thing only, that we are His children. Human prosperity is about how well off we can be because of how hard we've worked and how much we deserve, whether that's a delusion or not. But what God thinks of us, it turns that on its head. Because nothing we could ever do, nothing we could ever do, good or bad, could ever change the spiritual riches available to us. That is based completely on who we are to God. Children he loves unconditionally. And so you might ask, what does this have to do with Easter? What does this have to do with Jesus rising from the dead? Well, let me explain. In our sin, with selfish, divided hearts, we do not 
by default hold the status of being a son or a daughter of God. He created us, but we're estranged. We need to become his children. And that can only happen one way. If the spirit of his one and only worthy son joins with our spirit and gives us that status. See, what comes before the reading from Romans 8 that we heard earlier today is that when we belong to Jesus, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. See, the same writer says elsewhere that if Christ did not rise, our faith is in vain. It's all pointless. We're still dead in our sins. And then we're still lost. We're still separated from God. But because Jesus is alive, the same Spirit comes to enter our lives too and give us life as well. Eternal, everlasting life. A few verses down in Romans, the writer says this, So you have not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Because the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, this same Spirit, who is in fact the Spirit of Jesus himself, can fill us and make us sons and daughters of God. And friends, God wants this for you. As we read before, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that those brothers and sisters is you and I if we want it. And it's your choice. It's our choice. You know, you can live kind of one foot in and one foot out, or maybe you can just wait till it all makes more sense, or you can kind of live this life going, maybe I'll explore God one way because I feel like he's going to make my, my life miserable. But let me remind you of the riches we have when we choose to become a son or daughter of God. Romans 8, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things. 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Lord, our God, who was raised to life. And so, friends, I want to remind you this morning, He is for you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not angry with you. He is for you. He wants you in his family. He wants to throw a party when you come home. He is for you. He loves you. He knows you. And he wants you to know him. Now, if you already believe this, if you're a Christian, I really hope today has reminded you of these truths, that it's uplifted your spirit, reminded you, you are loved. But if you've never heard this good news before, and you want to become a child of God today, then now is the time to make that choice. He died for you. And was raised to life for you so that you might have life and know the breadth and depth of his love. And if you want to receive this love, all I want you to do is, in a moment, click the button that will pop up um, to say that I trust my life to Jesus. And to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Just one line at a time. Repeat after me. Either in your heart or out loud if you wish. Just to pray this prayer of trusting your life to God. Father God. Thank you for your unconditional love for me. Sorry that I've been running from you. And living my own way. Please forgive me. Fill me with your spirit that I may become your child and live a new life pleasing to you. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we would just love to hear from you. We're celebrating with you as are the angels in heaven. Uh, If you haven't clicked the button below, please do that now. Um, Or if you prefer, just connect with us by clicking the link at the top of the page. Um, All we want to do is support you on the journey and pray for you. As we close this morning, church, uh, I want to close, I want us to close with a blessing. This blessing is, is straight from Scripture, as I mentioned before. Um, Annalise uh, is going to come up now. I'm going to sing it uh, over you. And uh, after we have sung it together over you, Yoi is also going to say this blessing over us in Hebrew, the original language. And so wherever you are, uh, maybe you just want to open uh, your, your hands or lift up your hands just to receive this blessing as we sing it over you this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you.
family and your children and their children. Friends, may his favor be upon you. May his favor be upon you. And a thousand generations. And your family. And your children. And their children. And their children. May his favor be upon you. And a thousand generations. And your family. And your children. And your children. And your children. some of our leaders and friends from this church, people who love you, who want to pray this blessing over you this morning with us. And so as we pray, may his favor be upon you for a thousand generations. We just want to bless you. We want you to know you are loved by God, our Father, and we love each other as his body, as his family. Friends, let's pray this together. Open your hands and receive this blessing. His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children and his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you
Yabarechecha Adonai Vyesmarecha Yair Panavelecha Vekonika Yesha Adonai Panavelecha Vyashem Lecha Shalom Vyache Shemcha Shalom